Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Praise the Lord. Well, opening your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So this is the eighth message on the perception, illusion, and deception of control. I warned you in November that God was dealing with me, and I had all of these messages in raw form um, around the first week of November. And that's when the argument started between God and I. And, and I didn't really want to, to preach these um, because I knew that there would be uh, times where it would come across as being harsh and difficult and, and would step on our toes and, and really uh, potentially encourage us to abandon some things that we thought we could control. And so here we are today, eight weeks after starting preaching this, and I argued with God for a, a good period of time because um, I didn't actually start preaching this until after the first of the year. So um, normally I wouldn't tell you the times I argue with God um, because I've told all of you that it's not all that profitable to argue with God. And, uh, and while I know all the right answers, I don't always do all the right answers. And, and so we come to this point, which was what I thought that I was going to teach like I normally do somewhere around the first message, where I was going to be able to talk about the treasure of submitting to God's control. We had to get through all those other things to get to this place where we can talk about the inherent value of submitting to God's control. Until you recognize that you want control in certain areas of your life and that you're actually working hard and, and this is the painful part, attempting to use Scripture to justify your control. And that's what perception does. It's just a way of regarding or, or understanding or interpreting something. So basically, we would take those scriptures that we believe God has given us, and we would interpret them, and then we would kind of transfer those into, see, this is what's supposed to happen. Only there isn't a great explanation for why, at times, we go through things that we have scriptures that say we shouldn't. And so we had this, 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 this difficulty. And in a moment, I'm going to have him put up a, a, a quote in the middle of my message that, that sometimes we have problems. Which quote is that, Jeremy? Do you know which one I'm talking about? It's like maybe the first purple in, on your notes. It says something about sometimes. Yeah, there we go. Most of our problems are problems by self-definition. We declare their problems. Some problems are not problems at all. They're tensions requiring a push and a pull rather than a solution. And so what I've learned in trying to process this message for me is that I live in a high state of tension. The push and pull where I say, God, this is what your word says. I'm pulling on God's word, you know, a little bit. And then there's other times where that tension requires me to push away preconceived notions Like, I don't deserve this. That was a big part of me. I don't deserve this. I've served you, God. I've been preaching for 40 years, God. And and so I've earned, you know, some chips here or something. I mean, you know, some kudos or or whatever because, you know, I... Nobody sacrifices like me, God. I've, I've just poured out my whole life for your benefit. You know, come on. Maybe there's no other pastors besides Terry. He's in here. You know, we, we do that, don't we? <laughs> and we just say to God, you know, we've done these things and you should. And those are, see, those are the times where I'm, I have to push those things away. 
Because of my actions, I expect God to do things the way I want him to. That's what perception does. And then we learned a little bit about illusion, and that's just something that is likely to be wrongly perceived. And sometimes what we thought would be bad for us, it it became something that through the tension, the push and pull, that it actually became good for us. We would never give up what we learned through a really difficult situation. But sometimes the illusion is, I don't ever want to go through those things. I don't want to go through anything bad. I don't want to go anything that's, that's difficult. And, and really, illusions come from a perception of the senses, right? I don't know how many of you will get to this point today, but, but you know, we say things like this, I'm starving to death, right? And, and most of us um, look like we could maybe miss a meal, you're not going to starve to death. So illusion comes from a, 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 just a misinterpretation of what we're going. You're not going to, you're not going to die. And, and uh, besides, the Bible says we're God's purchased possession. So I'm just convinced he can spend us however he chooses to. And so that's the illusion. Then the deception is the act that causes someone to accept as true or valid what is false and invalid. We, we looked at those different kinds of deceptions when we're persuaded not to believe what is true. You can be in the world today and you can be persuaded that what the Bible says is not really truth at all, where we refuse to believe what's actually true, where we refuse to believe what is true about the Bible where we're persuaded to believe what isn't true by circumstances, when we're persuaded because of what we already know not to learn. Those are those deceptions. And so we come to this place where we've spent seven weeks trying to be persuaded. I talked with you last week about the soil of your heart and how each of you have each one of those kinds of soil where along the road we're persuaded by what we go through. And then we, we get to that place that's really stony, that's really hard, and we're persuaded by what we go through. You know, if you've ever um, um, prayed for someone and had that in the world's eyes seemingly not work, that's a real hard spot to be in. And sometimes what happens is we go through these hard spots where it doesn't look like God met our needs. And we say, I guess that doesn't happen. In the area of provision, so many people will not believe what God's trying to do because they didn't get what they asked God for. But if you, you know, I I say it this way, if you get what you want, well, you want what you get. Because sometimes that's not always great. You know, I mean, I don't want to get into that. I spent 20 minutes in Sunday school talking about the lottery this morning. You all know that's my hot button. And so we got those places where it fell among the the stones or among the rocks, and we found that place where it, it fell among the thorns, where there just doesn't seem to be any way out. See, all three of those exist in our life. And God's trying to persuade us, regardless of what we're going through, to to do what's necessary to plow up the road we've been. Listen, if you continually walk the wrong direction, you will wear a path in your life towards the wrong stuff. And as you water that path with the word of God, as you begin to break that down, you you literally till that soil and pre-water that soil with the word of God until it becomes good good soil. 
right? You can, you can break those things down. And so that's what we talked about. But now today I want you to see the treasure. So if you would, please just begin reading with me in the seventh verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice it says, but we have this treasure. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thank you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible for me today. Because he gives us the incorruptible, without comparison treasure, but he puts it in a frail human vessel. All of what God has for us operates and functions in some ways through the frailty of our humanness. You came up for prayer this morning, and some of you have serious requests, and some of you are going through some serious stuff, and we we do our best. We pray for you, and you go and sit down in some cases, and you don't feel any different. And now you have an opportunity in the treasure that was just deposited in you to not handle it as if you're a clay pot. As if you, you know... I don't know about you, but, but you know, these earthen vessels that we have, I, I read a report one time that, that um, based on the percentages, I don't know if you are aware of this, but you were made from dirt. And so the, the basic general percentages of elements and so forth that's in the soil all over the world and, and what's in you is, is, is somewhat equal. So, you know, if there's 60% water all over the planet, your body's about 60% water. And if, if the, the earth has about, you know, 0.5% copper in it, you got copper in you and, and all that kind of stuff. So if we cook you down, you're worth about 38 cents. Right? My, my point is that the frailty of our humanness is not our focus. And yet God gives us this treasure. And he says, I want you to handle this right in, in your earthen pot, in your earthenware, in, in, your, in your clay, right? And, and so that's what he says, that the excellent, this astounding value and power that comes from the treasure. And I'm going to tell you what the treasure is in just a second. But this excellence is of the power may be of God. And not of us. We, we do that every week when we pray for somebody. We do that every time when we're setting our own selves aside and make a sacrifice. We're using our earthen vessel with treasure and power, the excellency of the power of God in there. That's how he designed us to be. And so we have to get to that place where we value the treasure of submitting to God's control. See, you know, they were praying for us over here, and I really appreciate my family and the family that's in the church, and, and, and um, there was somebody standing behind me, and I didn't know who it was, and, and they put their hand right in the small of my back, and the longer they held their hand there, the hotter my back got. And so after everybody was done praying, I turned around, and it was Carmen Roth, and I said, I don't know whether you're aware of this or not, but he, I said, your, your hand got really hot. Have you ever considered praying for other people? What holds us back from doing that? The frailty of who we are as a human. I mean, I got nothing to offer unless God offers it. Right? I mean, I got, I got you know, I go and study and that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you what, if, if God doesn't speak, the sermon's going to be short. Because I got nothing to say. I've learned in my age that my opinion's about as valuable as yours. Back... <laughs> See, some, some of you, it took about 20 seconds for you to get that. Back in my less regenerate days, I used to say opinions are like noses and you can only pick your own. Everybody gets that. We want to put power on our own opinions. 
And God is just simply, if you submit to him, the one thing that I've learned is God isn't terribly interested in your opinion. He doesn't need you to tell him how to do stuff. There's not a person in here who would have thought it was a good idea for Jesus to spit in mud and put it on one guy's tongue and another guy's eyes. That does not sound like a good idea. Okay? Now, don't make a, don't make a, a, a doctrine out of this and start spitting on mud and putting it on people. That'll get you poked in the nose. Amen. You got to understand that what God does, he says, listen, I'm going to give this to you, this treasure, this, this unesteemable, this is huge value, but I'm going to put it inside your cracked pot. Amen. That the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. Skip back to verse number one. Notice what it says. It says, we have this ministry as we have received mercy. What's the treasure if we just go through this? The treasure is what God puts in us through Jesus Christ. So we have everything through salvation that we will ever need, but it works its way from spirit, soul, through our flesh to others. We only have this flesh. If you're going to lay hands on somebody, unless you're going to grow spiritual hands, you need to use the hands that you grew. Lay your hands on people. What if it doesn't work? I'm not. Listen, if it doesn't work, do it again next week. You say, you mean we just keep doing it? Well, it depends. If we don't, then we can believe that what the Bible says isn't true and we can become deceived. Amen. So if we're going to take this as a treasure, we're going to have to really kick into this thing and say, wait a minute. What God's trying to do here is he's trying to show us. Right. This value, this treasure, this thing that he says is valuable. This is not me saying it. It's literally something that is laid up in store. That's what the Bible calls a treasure, something laid up in store. Up in heaven, God has deposited under our name. How many of you have a, an account where maybe you put some, some savings in every once in a while? Okay, you have a savings account. Outside of your everyday, where nobody has one of those. Okay, so really what you need... <laughs> I have a savings account. Okay, I put money into it. It's my money, but it's not in my possession. It's in an account in a bank. If I need it, I have to follow the rules of the bank to get it. And if you go in and try and access it without their permission, they will throw you in prison. That's called stealing. If you go in and try and get it, get the money, they will give you the restrictions that come with that. I went to buy a car one day and they, they encouraged me not to take more than $9,999 out at one point. Because if you take $10,000, Uncle Sam gets a note. I didn't want Uncle Sam to know what I was doing. And they keep track. It's my money. But there are restrictions. Are y'all with me? When the Bible says you have an account in heaven, heaven has a way to access that treasure. Maybe we ought to learn that. Rather than saying, well, I don't even believe it exists. I don't care whether you believe my savings account exists or not. I will tell you right now. I got a statement last week that tells me it still exists. I know exactly how much money's in there. 
and I could go to the bank and get it. It's mine. But I have none of it in my possession. I don't get to own it specifically. In my, it's not in my pocket. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you don't track with this, you'll miss this treasure. It's laid up. That's why when he says in the Lord's Prayer, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he asking us to do? Utilize the restrictive understanding of heaven. The keys to the kingdom were given to Jesus to give to us so we might know to, 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 to bind what's bound up there and to loose what's loosed up there. See, that's like a deposit slip and a withdrawal slip. Right? You, you kind of got to figure this stuff out. How many of you know that inside your spouse is a treasure, according to God, that you ought to learn how to put into and take from? Man, about three people said amen because they said, wait, you mean, mean that woman I don't really like most of the time is a treasure and God says she's a treasure? Yeah. And you ought to learn how to make a deposit in your treasure account. Because I'll tell you what, the interest, yeah, see some of you got it, <laughs> the interest, if I make a deposit in my wife, the interest is reciprocal. Yay. Way to go, Glenn. I, the Bible says you can live with your spouse in an understanding way. It's possible according to God. But when you go to the bank of your wife and try and withdraw without having put anything in there, she's going to look at you and say, you're bankrupt, buddy. Come on. And if you're a wife <laughs> and you don't deposit, right? Wife needs security. You got to deposit some security in them. If you never deposit any security in them, they got nothing to give back. Men need respect. If you don't put some respect in there, you say, well, he's not worth respecting. You need to see him through God's eyes because you're bankrupting your account. You can't expect your husband to be Jesus-like if you never put any honor in there. That'll work. I'm telling you, that'll really preach. That's not what I'm going to preach about today. <laughs> but that'll really preach. So go back to verse number seven and understand that this treasure we have is there because of the gospel. Jesus put it in us when we accepted him. The, let me get back to my, my visual. Okay, so this is our spirit. You get born again. Your dead spirit that was dead in sin is made totally and perfectly alive in the fullness of God, missing nothing. And you try and get that out of your spirit, man, into your soul. This thing keeps attacking me. Into your soul, you've got to move it from what's living over here to you believing that it's alive. So you can't just look over here and say, well, I think it's alive. I'm pretty sure it's alive. The Bible tells me, no, no, move it from here into your soul, will, intellect, and emotion. And it'll become alive inside of you. And then... Miracle upon miracle, it'll control your flesh. But what most of us do is start over here. We look and see our spirit man and we then say, well, I'm governed by that. Well, why are you, if you're governed by that, why are you standing here? See, you don't understand how it works. 
Well, I'm standing here because I'm fleshly, right? I'm, I'm a person, I'm human. No, he gave it to you to hold it in there, but he wants you to function according to the spiritual parameters and rules over here. Won't do any good to go over here and say, well, you know, I got $10,000 in the bank. Can you see it on me? No. What do I have to do? I have to go to the bank, follow the bank's rules to get that. Then I can put it in my hands and I could bring it up here and spread it out in $100 bills so you could look at it. If you have that much money, they won't give you any more than you have. If you ain't put it in there, you ain't getting it back. Amen. Deposit to your account. So we get over here, we read God's word and our spirit man says, that's yours. And you say, no, God didn't intend to give that to me. What did you do? You step over here and say, I can't believe it. I can't believe God would want to do that in my I mean, when you look from your invisible man over to your visible part, you don't think your visible part's too good. Right? You look at, come on, you, anybody ever have a bad hair day? You got that from your soul. You know, your flesh doesn't care how it looks. Your soul does. Your will, your intellect, and your emotions. Your emotion says, if I wasn't, if I wasn't overweight, people would like me better. Or I used to tell... My family, I was going to dye my hair when I got on TV. My grandsons keep reminding me. He says, Papa, we watch you every week on TV and you ain't dyed your hair yet. <laughs> well, I don't care if you dye your hair. It don't make any difference to me. I'm not dying mine. I don't got time to dye my hair. Besides, when I'm in my flesh, I'm not wired like some of you, but I look in the mirror and say, wow, you look good. Now, when I get over here, my spear man, I look over there and I go, man, you are dying quicker than you think you are. <laughs> my inner man <coughs> is telling me I'm okay, but my outer man can't hardly walk up and down stairs. Amen. You understand the difference. In the, so I'm just trying to get you to get to the understanding of this treasure. It doesn't exist here in your, in your flesh. It exists over here in your spirit. And you've got to operate according to spiritual principles. Okay. Are we, all, are we all together? Yes. Great. Praise the Lord. Look at verse number seven. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. Now notice what Paul says. Are you ready? We are hard pressed. It literally means to be oppressed with evil and distress. I thought we had treasures. No, what he says. See, this is, this is where you think it's a problem. This is actually where the tension is. We live in a world that is sin dominated. And if you take your God ideas out there, some people will think you're crazy. And I will just tell you, I do this all the time in my head. When I hear people struggling with, with sexual identity and all that kind of stuff, I'm thinking, man, I got like a 20 second lesson for you. I can fix that. So that's what my flesh says. Well, you guys can do it too. It doesn't take a genius to figure out there's a difference between men and women. And when you're confused or deceived... You know what, the first, it's all right if I talk in front of your teen, I'll just talk to them. You know, the first thing that, that, that a teenager will do when they're confused about their identity is take the identity that they were born with and try and hide it. They will. Just tell you right now. In fact, if you go to some liberal school districts, they'll teach you how to do it. And they won't tell your parents. Makes me want to slap people. 
How many of you know when you want to slap people, you're in the wrong disposition? My flesh wants to slap people. Bam! Ezekiel 7, 9 says, I am the Lord God that smiteth thee. Hallelujah! But when you get in your spirit, the love of God begins to pour out. Because the deception and the confusion that people have was not designed by God. And so when God is in you, you have the greatest level of compassion towards people who struggle. When you're over here spouting rules and regulations and how this is not going to work, you need to get over here where God just loves people and says, you know what, just relax. I got this. But you go be, take your earthen vessel, go over here and be Jesus to somebody and love them. See, we get over here in our flesh and we take our truth over here and we beat people up. And they're thrilled. They love it. People love it when we beat them up with truth. They look at you like you're nuts. But when you love them, when you love them, they look at you and say, why isn't the rest of the church this way? Exactly. The solution according to God to every problem in the world is found in the church and the word of God. You say, well, how come aren't they coming here? Because they don't like you. Oh, sorry, I said that out loud, didn't I? (laughs) If we're critical and judgmental, why would they come? If we'll love them, you say, but what if it doesn't work? It always works. The love of God never fails. See, you need to get this part into this part and be convinced, be persuaded that you believe it. I'm going to get through this today, I'm pretty sure. Are you ready? Verse, so he says, we're hard pressed. We're perplexed. He says, we're without resources. See, when you're in your flesh over here, right, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. And he says, in this earthen vessel, there's this tension because I have no resources. He says, I'm perplexed. I don't know what to do. I got nothing. I'm perplexed about that. Right? I got no resources. But look what he says. He says, when you're hard pressed on every side, you're not crushed. What did he say? He said, listen, when you stand over here, it's coming at you from every direction. But when you come over here, you say, but yeah, it's a good day because I'm not crushed. It's a good day. Yes, it doesn't change anything. It's the, it's the tension. If you get over here, you can pull and push on that. Right? You don't have to fix this. I live in a world that is clear, full attention. I'm convinced that my children buy their medicine at the drugstore they do so that I can on them almost a daily basis when I'm up there. When I get to go to that grocery or to that drugstore, I get to see Sally. Help me, Jesus. Because Sally has a beard and male pattern baldness. And in my flesh, I'm saying, I don't even want to be faced with this. And God says, you're in the wrong box. And so I go over here and go, man, I love Sally. (laughs) Sally is awesome. Thank you, Sally, for being. And you know, I had to call her by her name, which my eyesight is going, that can't possibly be her name or his name. Their name. (laughs) How do you do that? You're looking at it going, none none of this makes sense. I'm hard pressed. There's no way out of this. Crazy has taken steroids. (laughs) You get over here and you go, oh, my heart just just reaches out in love. I love Sally. 
And I step over here and I go, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? And I'm t- you know, you're having that conversation inside. It makes no sense whatsoever. I'm hard pressed on every side. And there's no way out of this. I got no resources. You step over here, I got no resources. And the resources I think I have are judgment and criticism. But you hold this treasure in this earthen vessel. Only we want to use it in an earthen vessel way. That's the reason your pot is cracked. You keep pitching it at people. He says, I'm persecuted. Verse number nine, I'm persecuted. Pursued with, with repeated acts of hate. Over and over and over again, I'm persecuted. You know, the church feels like it's persecuted and they call it a problem. In reality, it's a tension. If we'll pull and push on that a little bit, we'll find that ground where God does his work. Because we'll be loving those people who need Jesus rather than judging those people who need Jesus. See, the treasure that God has for us, that's us submitting to his control. Notice, if you would, please, in the ninth verse again, it says, we're persecuted, we're not forsaken. You understand in the midst of your persecution, Jesus Christ is right with you. He's not not leaving. He says, we're struck down. (laughs) Struck down. When you get knocked down by personal circumstances in your earthen vessel, when you get knocked down, you step right over here in your soul and go, I didn't deserve that and I didn't like that a bit. And your soul begins to agree with your flesh. But if you'll jump over here in your spirit, man, and you say you're knocked down and God will say, just lay there for a second. I'd like to talk to you. It's different, isn't it? Because now you've been knocked down, but your spirit, man, is just there submitting to God. He says, just hang on for a second. You don't need to respond to this. Just lay here for just, 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 just for a second. I've been knocked down. Just wait. Just figure it out. He says, I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Wow. So that's where our quote was. Many of our problems are problems by self-definition. Some problems are not problems at all. They're tensions requiring a push and pull rather than a solution. If you'll get this, you'll be solving your stuff from your spirit man rather than from your flesh guy. And you'll recognize the treasure that you hold in that earthen vessel. Isn't that awesome? Look at verse number 10. He says, always, man, underline that in your Bible, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't like this one. He said that in this earthen vessel, every time, every moment, you will always be reminded that you're caring about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in your body. You'll recognize the frailty and the feebleness of your humanness every time. Always, he says. Do you see it? Isn't that awesome? No, it's not awesome. I don't like that. I don't like to be reminded of my weakness. And yet Paul said, in your weakness, he's made strong. See, it's not a problem that needs to be solved. It's a tension that needs to be. I'll just tell you right now, if you will move the, the, the line of weakness further, where, where you can be weaker sooner, you'll be in God's strength sooner. But See, you can only do that when you do it from this side and, and get the belief system. You're persuaded that I just need to be weak here. And you actually believe it. See, this is not, this is not you just confessing. Well, I'm just weak. 
But if you touch me one more time, I'm going to pop you right in the nose. That's not weak. That's not meek. What you're saying is you have limits. God says his love has no limits. It's hard. It's just hard. But see, there's a treasure. There's a treasure there. Keep reading with me in verse number 10. Always caring about in the body the dying Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus Christ also may, see you ought to underline that, also may be manifested in our body. What did he just say? He said, listen, I want to show you when you recognize this weakness here, that from this place over here will come through your soul into you a manifestation of the life of Jesus Christ. I want that. I want to be here in my earthen vessel and hear the knock on my humanness. Right on my door. He stands at the door knocking. Ding, ding, ding. Um, Yes, Jesus. Hey, let me show you how this works. Let me manifest my life right now in your earthen vessel. Yeah, that'd be cool. Wouldn't that be good? That'd be good for me. I think that'd be good. See, many of us don't see the connection. Here's the next quote, please. Many of us don't see the connection. Without the one, you don't get the other. Notice it again in verse number 10. Leave the quote up, please. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one thing. So that the life of Jesus Christ may be manifested in your mortal body. That's it. Without one, you don't get the other. Do you see it? See, so many of us don't see the connection. Without the one, there is no other. There's no resurrection power without death. Do you see it? Always working the death of Jesus Christ over here. So the life, see, without the one, there isn't the other. See the tension? To the degree that you're willing to die, he's willing to lend you his life. There's a tension. You think, no, he'll give, give, me, he'll give me all of his life. No, some of you is in the way. It, right? I mean, some of you need, some part of you sometimes needs to die. You need to get out of the way. Because there's no resurrection power without death. Amen. Notice, if you would please, then the next verse, verse number 11. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. You know, this is a great promise. See, that's why it's not a problem. See, the dying of your ongoing fleshliness is not a problem. It's a tension. It needs to be managed. He says, We're, we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Not, see, it's not for our sake, it's for his sake. He's getting us out of the way. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal body. So then death is working in us, but life in you. What he said there was, if you'll die in front of people, the life of Jesus will infect them. What he said there was, (laughs) if you'll die in Jesus in front of people, the life of Jesus Christ will infect them. Do you see it? He says, it's death in me, life in you. Right? So whenever you're, if you're the, if you're the fl- frail, fleshly vessel and you will die, right? No greater love has any man than he lay down his life for his brother. If you will die, the life of Christ that manifested that in you will be, will be shared with it. It'll be manifested in them. You dying produces life in them. So when you don't have to have your way, come on, remember we talked about depositing in the woman and the man thing? When you don't have to have your way, when you lay down your life for your spouse, there's a benefit. You, you die and life comes into them. 
and the life of Jesus Christ will do the same thing in them. That's how um, uh, an unsaved spouse can be saved without a word. You lay down your life, the death produces life in them. That life begins to produce death in them and they lay down their life for you. Come on, this is not rocket science. Are you, are you getting it? When you lay your life down, when you die in Jesus Christ for someone else, it produces life in them. When they have the life, that life always produces death in them. See, once you, without the one, you can't have the other. So when they get the life, all of a sudden then, the life of Jesus Christ manifesting in, the, in them allows them to die in front of you and you get life. Or your children get life. Or your neighbor gets life. Are we together? Does that make sense? See, if you don't understand the treasure, you'll refuse to die in front of people. You won't do it. Why? Because they're not worth it. Sorry. Verse 13, are you ready to see the process? And since we have the same spirit of faith... Wait, when did we start talking about faith? Faith is what helps us do this. We have to believe that what we're about to do in Jesus Christ is a reward producing thing. Faith is, Hebrews 11.1, without 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. When you seek, see, faith seeks him. When you seek him, you get to die. When you die, you get his life. When you get his life, it helps you die again so that when you pass that on, it produces life in someone else. I know this is complicated because you have to kind of pay attention, but without the one, you don't get the other. That makes sense. Are you okay? Because if you're not, I can preach it again next week. I'm sure I'd do better next week. He says, we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. The belief system from your spirit, man, moves over into your soul, guy, and out of the will, intellect, and emotions being persuaded, you begin to speak. And in that speaking, it produces a belief system. And that belief system produces the fruit that God designed for it to produce. Right? So he says, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. What's he saying? He says, when you get it right, you'll come over here and you'll speak your system. You'll speak your life and that life will hit them. They'll become alive. It'll become a convincing to them. They'll come over here and start talking and the whole cycle starts over. That's how people get born again. By faith you speak. Are you getting, see, the treasure that God has for us is literally found in how faith responds, put up that quote, please. How faith responds to God's provision within the finished work of Christ. Faith responds to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not the work that needs to be done, the work that has already been done, the finished work of Jesus Christ. That becomes a life. Jesus died for you. Faith talks that way. Somebody who can't believe that Jesus would die for someone like them who's a terrible person who's done all these bad things. And all of a sudden, what happens? That faith comes alive because it's a gift from God. It becomes alive. And what do they do? They say, yeah, Jesus died for me. And the moment that they accept that, this part of them becomes alive. 
And when this part comes alive, it starts to speak to this part. And pretty soon, this part is under the control of the Spirit. That's how it works in all of you. That's the treasure of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So that's why we have, at the end of this chapter, he says in verse 16, Therefore, we don't lose heart. What did he say? He said, when I'm in my flesh, I don't encourage my soul to, to disconnect. I'm not losing heart. I'm staying connected to my spirit, man. He said, I recognize these things. Look at verse 16. Even though our outward man is perishing. Our outward man, we're looking at that. I look at my outward man occasionally and I think, you know what? There's curves where there didn't used to be curves. There's sag where there didn't used to be sag. There's gray where there used to be black. And in all honesty, I have hair growing out of my ears that I don't like either. <laughs> You've never lived till you tried to shave your ears. <laughs> I'm telling you, the older I get, the more hair I get on my ears. What is the deal with that? And I step over here and God says, and you're concerned with the hair in your ears. Hmm. So you believe, evidently, this is God talking to me, you believe evidently that I didn't know what I was doing when I brought about the decaying of your everyday life so that the life of my everyday life can be in you. Why are you concerned about the hair in your ears again? You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. You're so vain. Okay, yeah, part of that control thing. I didn't like this sermon series at all. I'll just tell you right now. I just, Inward man being renewed day by day for our light affliction. There he goes again lying to me. It's not light. I hate it. It's hard. It's but for a moment. Yeah, right. His clock doesn't work. He said he was coming back soon. That's how we do these things. We get over here in our flesh. And, and he says, listen, hang on. It's just for a moment. Right. You said you were coming back 2,000 years ago. And here we are. Right? See, that's what flesh does. When you get over here, you know there's no clocks in heaven. We get over here and we lose complete track of time. You think, yeah, just for, it's just for a moment. Just for a moment. <clears throat> How captivating does a single conversation have to be with Jesus to get you to ignore the clock? <laughs> That'll preach too. He says, so we look at these things which are not seen because the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. It should be extremely hard for a dead man to claim control. You're dying every day. This guy right here every day. Just go ahead and embrace it. It's all right. When you get over here, this dead guy should not have the ability to gain control. It should be extremely hard for this dead guy to gain any sort of control because he's dying every day. But what happens is we don't believe. So in our soul guy, we're saying, come on, keep living. I need you, you know, and we don't. And I'm not talking about, about physical death here. I'm talking about spiritual death, that ongoing crucifixion, specifically the areas where you can't crucify yourself. You can drive the own, your own nails into your feet and you can drive the nail into one hand, but sooner or later, you've got to hand the hammer to God himself and he will crucify the rest of you. You can do some of it, 
But sooner or later, you've got to hand the hammer to Jesus and say, okay, I can't do this hand anymore. I can't, I can't do that. This hand's already nailed out. And that's where we are as a church, in my opinion. We, we, can, be, we can be sacrificed like, like, you know, 66% of the way, but we still got a free hand. Or 75% of the way, and we still got a free hand. And we've got to hand the hammer to God himself. And say, I hold these treasures in an earthen vessel. Let's just get rid of that earthen vessel. It's control, right? Let's recognize, just like he did, I'm hard-pressed, but there's a way out. I'm persecuted, but it didn't hurt in me. That's how the Spirit works. That's the treasure that God gives us. Amen? Did you learn? Amen. Amen. Come on, music team. Father, thank you today. Stand with me, would you please? Father, thank you today. I know, Lord God that you want to speak to us in powerful and demonstrative ways, ways that we can understand, Father, to show us that our earthly guy is just dying every day, and that's your plan. So that, that part of me that is living and alive in Christ, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, can have an influence in my soul and have an influence in my flesh. That I can literally live having Christ manifest his death in me every day so that his life might be manifested in the, in the people that, that I meet. Thank you for that today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.